lower your score and improve your game with custom-fitted clubs at Pureform Golf. This is Off The Tee with Sam Hargraves and Nick O'Hearn. Ah, yes, indeed. Welcome to Off The Tee for another week when we dive into the wonderful world of golf. And no better person to do that with than the former world number 16, the only man with a two-zip record in match play golf against the great Tiger Woods, Nick O'Hearn. Hello, mate. G'day, Sam. Great to be here again. Great to be with you, and we do it all for um, we do it all for Pure Form Golf. Improve your game with custom fitted clubs at Pure Form Golf. Um, given the uh, en- enormity of the tribunal decision this evening, I will just repeat: if you're just joining us and you haven't heard that Jacob Van Royen's two match ban for the spoil on Charlie Ballard against the Suns has been upheld. So that will really get the phone lines firing tomorrow. In the meantime, keep some powder dry. We'll turn our attention to the world of golf. Uh, and you can always call to speak about all things golf, one 736 736 You can text in 0433-98-1116. Um, let's get stuck into the news uh, that's been pinging around for Ping Golf. Use Ping Golf equipment so you can play your best. Um, why don't we start, um, Nick Ahern, because later on uh, I had the pleasure of catching up with Grace Kim a couple of days ago, and we're going to hear some of that chat. Um, so we'll, it'll be fantastic to catch up with Grace Kim a few weeks after her uh, maiden LPGA win. Indeed. Uh, we're going to talk about the Aussies and the International Crown as well. But that, let's start with the PGA in this. This is the moment he's been dreaming of. And he's made his family proud. This is the reality of winning compared to the dream. You know, I mean, obviously it didn't quite sink in yet. It's when you're so focused on uh, kind of the one shot at a time in the process, sometimes you get so into that that you don't think about um, the outcome. So it, it's hit me a little bit. Um, obviously, I was really emotional on 18. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to celebrate and enjoy it. So Congratulations. Thank you so much. Champion of the world. 29 years of age from Denver, Colorado, Wyndham Clark. His first PGA Tour win at the Wells Fargo in Quail Hollow, Charlotte. Um, in Australian dollars, this was one of the $30 million events, the $20 million event US that have been added to the schedule uh, in light of live. Um, he wins $3.6 million Australian. It's an interesting story, isn't it, Nick Wyndham-Clark? Two different universities. His mum passed away when he was playing college golf. Um, 29 years of age now. It, it, it's, he sort of took a longer route uh, to get there, to playing pro, but um, to get that first win is, is a special moment for him, and he did it pretty emphatically. Yeah, shots. No, nothing wrong with uh, taking your time to get that first win. I know all about that. <laughs> but it was a fantastic uh, win, as you say. The way he, he did it as well, because he's he's been in position these last 12 months or even a couple of years to mm. to pull one out. And of recently, I think he hasn't missed a cut in about 16 starts as well. So his form's been very, very good. And then to do it in one of these designated events, the $20 million US events that they have now on the PGA Tour are just also, his testament to his mental game, and that's really what he spoke about, I think, afterwards in the interviews and things like that, how more mentally tough he, he was during that Sunday round. In in past events and past uh, tournaments, he, he really didn't have that mental toughness down mm. the stretch. And if he got off to a bad start, well, then he kind of folded. Whereas in this case, he bogeyed the first hole, but then steadied the ship and said, right, there's a long way to go. The chasing pack, I mean, Xander Schauffele, he caught him and actually overtook him at one point. And then through the turn, uh, Wyndham made about five birdies in eight holes. It was an incredible run and pretty much closed the door on Xander, who actually struggled through that period. So it was a fascinating turnaround from from really what we were expecting because he kind of thought Shoffley was going to be the man once he'd caught him and, and went past him. But 
All credit to Wyndham. What a fantastic win. The other thing it does for him is last week he was ranked 80th in the world. And when it comes to things like majors, mm. that's a fair way outside the top 50 that you need to be. And well, he's now ranked 31st. Oh, that's huge. Substantial <laughs> climb uh, up the rankings board. Yeah. yeah, well, that gets him. Well, he's probably going to play the PGA Championship in a couple of weeks anyway, because generally top 100 play that one. Yep. But the US Open yep. and the Open Championship, they're the big ones. Now he'll be exempt into those. If he can hold that top 50 ranking, and by all accounts with the form and the way he has been playing of late, that will definitely hold true. But also good to see. Aussie Adam Scott up there as well, a tied fifth result. Nice to see Scotty playing well because his form hasn't, you know, quite been mm. there. He's, I think that projected him at about 105 on the FedEx Cup list. So he kind of needs to get a move on if he wants to be in that sacred top 50 at the end of the season. So he was tied for fifth, eight shots back at the end, but he started the day five shots back. He hasn't had a PGA win for three years. He was pretty consistent last year. It was the putter again that sort of maybe brought him undone. In that final round, he had an even 71, five bogeys to go with five birdies. So it was a real licorice all sorts day for for Adam Scott. The holes he played well, he played brilliantly and and almost had a chip in eagle. But those ones that he didn't, I mean, he wasn't really able to salvage um, and sort of get up and down and and, Mm. and sort of scrap to to stay in the hunt. Yeah, I saw a couple of short putts that he missed, which didn't look really good. But putting's actually been his strength the last year or two. He's really improved that side of the game, still using the broomstick putter, the unanchoring method. Um, and you look at his golf swing with, uh, with Scotty and you go, how does this guy ever play bad? I mean, mm. it is just poetry in motion. He has one of the stillest heads you could ever watch hitting a golf ball. And, you know, he really doesn't have much going for him. You know, his swing, his looks and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> uh, I, I really yes. feel sorry for the Ma- guy. Massive endorsements, <laughs> uh, our only master's winner. When will he get a break? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it was good to see him playing well. And a couple of Aussies that did make the cut was, uh, Cameron Davis and Harrison Endicott, but they were well down in the field. But all hats off to Wyndham, and, and hopefully, wouldn't it be fun if he won the Wyndham Championship at, up at Greensboro? I mean, that'd be a great, you know, Wyndham winning at Wyndham. That'd be fun. It would have been nice, uh, and still plenty of time for him uh, to be able to do that. Um, let's turn our attention to the International Crown. Mm. What a performance from uh, our Australian women. Uh, eight country event, four players per country. Um, Minji Lee, Hannah Green, Steph Kuriaku and um, Sarah Kemp. Yeah, Sarah Kemp. Yep. My, my page no, just good. decided to change she over She just on pipped me. Grace Kim as well at the line to get into that team. So yeah. Great effort by And Sarah. I asked Grace about that and, and a class response. Good. Uh, and one you can tell she meant uh, as well. Let, let's be honest. We went through the, the rankings of our four women uh, as opposed to the uh, inter, uh, individual rankings of the other players in the other teams. Um. It was a solid side, but there were certainly more, at the moment, credentialed players um, in terms of rankings Mm. in in the other teams. And one of those was South Korea. One of those was Sweden. We knocked both of them off, if you don't mind, on the way to the final against Thailand. Well, we love a good underdog, don't you? I mean, out of the eight teams, we were seated seventh, the the Australian women. So they certainly weren't expected to make the final four when they went into the semifinals. But... Opening day, they beat Korea, who were probably number one seed, I Unbelievable would imagine. Unbelievable. 2-0. Yep. They, they knocked them off, and then they beat Japan the following day, and then that actually meant they were into the semifinals. They didn't need to win the third round, but they came up against Thailand, who was playing some incredible golf. The youngster, especially uh, Titikal, I think her name is, she uh, played some beautiful golf a week, went undefeated. Uh, so Thailand beat the Aussies there in the third round, but that didn't matter. They went into that semi-final against Sweden and rolled them three-zip, which was an incredible effort, because Sweden had been playing some 
phenomenal golf during the tournament at TPC Harding Park. But yep. just came up against an incredibly strong team in Thailand. And I think Thailand only lost one individual match for the entire tournament. But an incredible effort by the Aussie girls and, and hats off to them. Uh, England, of course, disrupted when uh, two of their main players pulled out on the eve. And that <laughs> they were, it was always going to be really tough to come back from that. And it will be very tough when they all meet again uh, for the next uh, LPGA uh, event. But what did you make of the U.S. performance? Yeah, it was a little bit lackadaisical, I guess you could say. Uh, Nellie Corder, she was solid mostly throughout. Lilia Vu, she played a bit of golf with her. Uh, the other pairing in their regards, I think it was Danielle Kang. And who was the fourth player there? I'm trying to think. But um, yeah, they, they were struggling after day one, to be honest. They they were they were uh, behind mm. the eight ball and they really really had to pick their game up. They did lift, and then I thought, hang on, we might get a backdoor victory here. This would be very impressive if uh, if they could come all the way through. But sure enough, um, you know, Thailand beat them pretty convincingly again, and um, uh, they went into the in, into the consolation match, I guess you could say. But they but they did win that against Sweden, I think. Yeah, I mean, just looking through uh, Australia's performances, um, did a number on Japan, um, then able to beat. Uh, career in the round robin beat Thailand in the round robin. Um, in fact, no lost to the Thailand in yeah, the round robin, but um, it was the performances, especially against Sweden, you know, Steph Kuriaki beating Anna Nordquist and then Hannah Green defeated Carolyn Headwell, Minji Lee and Sarah Kemp beat Madeline Sagstrom and Maya Stark. That Sagstrom Stark combo is as good as any combo you'll go up against in the world. Mm. And, and they did a tremendous job. Um, what do you think it is about Australian golfers and the opportunity to play team events? Because it always seems that it brings out the best. It does. Yeah. That Aussie team spirit. I think those four are a great group of girls. They all get along really well. And, you know, they, we, we grew up playing pennant golf and team sort of uh, events. And especially in their case, they've represented uh, their states and, and Australia, obviously at the highest level. So they, they're used to that sort of team bonding and, and they just absolutely love it. Um, I think the standout for me was Kiriaku. I, I watched some of the golf and mm. she was walking in 20 foot. It was very impressive yeah. to watch her, the way she played and winning the individual match on the, in the semifinal as well was a huge effort. It was. So uh, congratulations to our Australian team. Um, that loss in the final is an extraordinary effort. Uh, ranked seven going in, as Nick said, to, to make that final and to improve just performed so well as a team and, and when individuals needed to stand up and they did in just about every major moment. Um, so that tournament looks like it's going to just gain more and more traction. Um, and I would say once it reestablishes itself, Nick, become a real calendar circler. Oh, for sure. Uh, I think the two English girls who, who didn't play, it was um, uh, Georgia Hall and I can't remember the other one, but uh, for those two to actually, you know, on the eve pull out, I don't think their teammates were too impressed and I'm not sure they'll be invited back, although it does go off rankings in that regard, so I'm sure they will be back. But uh, if you're uh, re- any chance you can get to represent your country, I'll tell you, it is a phenomenal thing. Uh, when we come back... I want to speak to you about what's happening at the moment with the DP World Tour and, and Liv. There's some big stories around there. Lee Westwood has blown up Deluxe. Phil Mickelson continues to. And, and the DP World Tour um, threatening fines of close to a million dollars um, for players who, who decide to leave their contracts or leave their status with the DP World Tour, uh, those who have gone to live. So there's a, I want to get your view on that. But can we talk about Gabby Ruffles? Mm. I mean, if you don't know the story of Gabby Ruffles, um, maybe just uh, put that into your Google. Uh, a former professional tennis player who won some doubles events through Europe decided that, no, golf's my sport. Uh, heads to college uh, in the US, University of South Carolina, 
Um, Nick, I'll let you pick it up from here because um, her performance over the weekend is one that we need to sit up and take notice of. Oh, for sure. She's. I actually played with her uh, last year at the Cathedral Invitational. I got to play around the golf with her. I'd never. I'd heard all about her game. Yep. And I was left, you know, very impressed. She probably shot one or two under, but just her composure out on the golf mm. course was incredible. I didn't see any weaknesses in her game. She had a very successful college career. Um, U.S. Women's Amateur, the first Aussie to win that. Won the U.S. Amateur. Yeah, almost went back to back, I think, didn't she? Uh, lost to Rose Zhang the second time. But uh, her professional career got off to a bit of a hiccupy start because mm. she she was meant to enter the LPGA Q School and unfortunately was driving there and uh, realized, hang on, I haven't entered. So she, she, uh, she, she couldn't go through Q school. So then she went instead to the European tour, got her card over there, and then was also going to play the Epson tour, which is what she's doing now uh, at the moment. And that was her second win. So to, to have that fortitude to come back after thinking, wow, I could have had my LPGA card already. Instead, I got to go back to the secondary tour. And she's won two of the first six events and pretty much has guaranteed her card for next year. Incredible effort. Uh, it certainly is. I mean, what a what a great story yeah. uh, this is. Um, I'm what sort of impresses me, and, I, and I'd love to get your gauge on this. Is about is this what we can expect um, when someone does turn professional? Because if you look at her results in majors and as an amateur, tied for fifteenth at the Chevron in twenty twenty, tied for thirteenth at the U.S. Women's Open in twenty twenty as an amateur. So clearly, the big stage holds no fears mm. for her. Not daunted to step up in the majors. I mean, are we when you've had a close look at her game, any deficiencies that stand out, or do you think no. that it has, ticks every box? Ticks every box, and she comes from great stock, obviously, with the, her parents being uh, Ray Ruffles and Anne Marine uh, as well, who are you know she I think as a tennis player reached top twenty in the world, yep. and Ray obviously was very good himself. So she has all the tools. Uh, and what impressed me about this victory on the weekend, which was uh, what was it, the Garden City Charity Classic in in Kansas, is she went out and shot a sixty-two in the first round, opened up a I think a four shot lead and then shot a 64 in the next round. So to go back to back, it's very hard to go back to back deep. Uh, we saw that with Taylor Gooch a few weeks ago at the live event, but, uh, you know, for, for Gabby to do that. And I think she had an eight shot lead going into the third round and pretty much cruised to victory. That just sort of sets the tone, I think, for how she can really compete at the highest level. Uh, we're going through the, all the golfing news for Ping Golf Equipment so you can play your best. Ping Golf Equipment is custom en- engineered, custom fit, custom built for you to play your best. This is off the tee on SEN, uh, the most controversial story uh, of the week. We will deal with on the other side of this. Lower your score and improve your game with custom-fitted clubs at Pureform Golf. This is Off The Tee with Sam Hargraves and Nick O'Hearn. As we work our way through all things happening in the world of golf right now, if you're just joining us for the first time, uh, welcome. If you've stuck with us, appreciate you doing so. Whichever category you fit into, great to have you on board. Thanks to Pureform Golf. Improve your game with custom-fitted clubs at Pureform Golf. Uh, Nick, before I ask you about uh, the major story getting around golfing circles at the moment, Adrian Moronk, who uh, Australians would know as he won the Australian Open um, December last year, beating our very own Adam Scott by five shots. Um, He also last year won the Irish Open. Um, A few years ago, he won the Portugal Open. He's just won the Italian Open. This man just wins Opens. He is the king of national opens. That, yeah. That's what he is. Yeah. He just needs to win the British and the US now, and he'll be very, very happy, obviously. But a phenomenal uh, Polish golfer. He's you know, the, basically the first Polish golfer to win on the European Poland's tour. Poland's greatest ever. Exactly. <laughs> no, he is. I mean, you could say that. And we, we saw how good he was down here uh, in Australia. Just the 
Uh, I mean, he's a very tall man, six foot five, I think, six foot six, and hits the ball an absolute bomb, uh, and has you know ticks all the boxes when it comes to his game. I think his uh, his his uh, what's the right word? His attitude was probably early on a little bit precocious and maybe wasn't mm. quite there, but he's obviously developed his game the last few years and is just playing some phenomenal golf and and a great win for him because that's where they're going to be playing the Ryder Cup as well. So he really put his hat in the ring there. Right. Um, for, for that event. Ranked number 46 in the world now. Um, the story in regards to the DP World Tour, um, 930,000 Australian fines for golfers that compete in Saudi-funded live golf events without permission. The story in the Daily Telegraph, um, Masters champ Charles Schwartzel, fellow South African star Brendan, Brandon Grace on the verge of handing back um, their memberships. Uh, they've dished out punishments to several of the rebel golfers. Uh, Henrik Stenson, Paul Casey, Martin Keimer are also weighing up their future. Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter and Sergio Garcia have all quit the DP World Tour officially uh, because of those punishments. Lee Westwood, um, and I want to read some of these quotes to you. The way I view it is that as a European Tour member, I was allowed to be a member of the PGA Tour without any problem for all those years. Tell me, what is the difference? He said he's been a dual member of both, but he's always had his loyalty has been with the European Tour. Um, he always had a fear that the PGA would essentially be bullies uh, and doing everything it could to secure global dominance. He said, but now in my opinion, the European tour has jumped in bed with them and they are a feeder tour to the PGA tour. Um, he doesn't want to play under that sort of regime, giving away their talent. What did you make of all this? Mm. Yeah, in, in a way, I mean, when you when you hear that, you go, oh, he probably has a point because he played both PGA tour and European tour. Mm. but. But I think because they're alliance that, that those two tours have, and, and are they a feeder to it? Well, I mean, you could look at it that way. Maybe they are. But I know Keith Pelly did an interview recently where he was talking, and Keith Pelly is the uh, CEO of the uh, DP World Tour, where he was talking about all his best players will continually want, they've already said to him, we're going to always come back to play. What, what they're doing is opening up opportunities for them to play elsewhere with PGA Tour, which is where obviously everyone, everyone wants to go because it is where the best players in the world go to. So his thing about playing both tours and then why can't I do that again? I can't answer that question, to be honest. I, I'm, I'm not uh, up, up to speed on on the ins and outs and all that. I did hear uh, someone say a while ago there was a, definitely a reason for it, but I just can't recall it at this stage. So, I mean... On face value, you, you do ask yourself, well, what, why, yeah. what is the difference? Why are the DP World Tour finding those players and making life difficult for those players to play live, but not so for the players who pick up and head to uh, the PGA? And the strategic alliance, his fear is that now that's essentially just, no, it's not an alliance, you're, you're a feeder. Well, I, I, it definitely is an alliance. They, they, they certainly have an agreement going because mm. they, they're playing on both continents um, in, in that regard. The PGA Tour, they come over for the Scottish Open and other events, and they're going to be continually grow that, grow their events there as well. Um, it's, it's a tough one to answer, you know, to be honest. But I think European Tour, obviously early on, they saw live, okay, this is a direct competitor to us. This is going to be an issue. And... Part of the tour's policies and all that is you have to be granted releases to go play these events. You get mm -hmm. a certain amount of releases to go play if you want to go play in the US and US if you want to go play in Europe. So it works both ways. With these guys, they basically said, look, we're not granting you a release because it all started with this first live event in London. Now, that is obviously part of where, P where the European Tour headquarters is. Mm. And there was already another European tour event going on, I think, that week. So they've gone, no, 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 we're not going to grant you a release for that because if you want to play, come and play the European tour event. So they had uh, – that's where all the fines came from. So then 
you know, Poulter and all these other players, they then challenged that ruling. It went to the courts and, and the court said, yep, okay, you can play until we do a final judgment on it. And then recently the courts have come back in favour of the European Tour. So they've upheld their decision to um, ban the players from playing live. And if they do, well, sorry, you're just going to get fined. And that's why we're seeing all these withdrawals of membership from the European Tour from the live players. So it's a bit of a murky mess at the moment, unfortunately. Can they afford to do that, the European Tour? As in? Well, look at the names that you're, oh, you're running yeah. out of town. <laughs> yeah. Well, the PGA can, can because mm. they, they've got McElroy, they've yeah. got Rahm, they've got Scheffler, Schofley, you know, they, they, they've got, you know, Morikawa, they've got these guys, Spieth, yeah. Tom, like I'll go, the list just continues to go on. Sure. Adam Scott, um, Lucas Herbert, Min uh, Wu Lee, like, so I can keep rattling those names off. Jason Day. DP doesn't. Well, all the players you're talking about from... European side, who is it? Like you got Garcia, Westwood, Poulter, Stenson. I, I, I hate to tell you, Sam, Kymer. They're, they're, Kymer, they're all well past their prime. <laughs> I can tell you now. They're, they're, Fair they're, enough. They're, they're then, you know, if they win a, a tournament in Europe these days, it, it, it would be uh, an incredible effort for them to do Fair that. enough. Yeah. No, they're well past their prime. And, but I hear you about the names. You know, mm. they're phenomenal names. They'll draw the ticket sales. They'll yes. bring people in. So As we've seen that's here. That's a tough one. Mm. Uh, if you want to have your say on that, 0433 you can call us one 736 736 on Off the Tee for Pure Form Golf. Improve your game with custom-fitted clubs at Pure Form Golf. Uh, on the other side of this, I had the pleasure of catching up with Aussie star on the rise, Grace Kim. We'll hear a bit of that chat next. And then Nick's tip of the week on Off the Tee. is an LPGA winner in just her third start as a rookie. Uh, well, what a moment that was in Hawaii at the Hoakalei Country Club, the first hole of a three-player playoff. Grace, hole, uh, Grace Kim holds the putt to win her first LPGA event in just her third attempt, as you hear there, to take out the Lottie Championship had to birdie 17 and 18 just to make the playoff against Yu Liu from China and Sung Yu Jin from South Korea. And that locks her in to the LPGA for at least the next two years. Nick Ahern and I have been speaking a lot about Grace Kim as a star of the future. And uh, what a way to bring up your first win that was. And she's been good enough to jump on the phone with us to talk all about it from LA. Grace, hello to you. Hey, Sam. How are you? Well, I'm good, but I'm just not a couple of weeks on from my first ever LPGA win. So I can only imagine, how does that feel for you to hear that again? I mean, it's, uh, yeah, it's surreal. Like, I really just can't believe I got it done. You know, it's probably the best thing can, that can happen as a rookie, especially on the LPGA, because it's um, pretty cutthroat. So, yeah, I just, I still don't really know what exactly happened. Well, talk to us about what exactly happened. When you're walking from 16 to 17, did you know the equation that was in front of you? Did you know what you needed to do to put yourself in contention? Well, yes, I guess I had an idea of where I was sitting. Um, but, like, it obviously didn't take me by surprise to see the leaderboard that, you know, I was two shots back. So I guess I gave it my all. Um after I hold my birdie part on 17, I told my caddy that we've got a chance. So 18 was, um, I guess, a par five where you're kind of, if you make par and you walk away, it's kind of disappointing. So I knew I had to birdie, uh, which I did, was, which was really nice. 
But, um, yeah, like I, it just happened so quickly. So it was really hard for me to comprehend everything. So, yeah. What I've, I'm going to get to where I first got to watch you and commentate you play. And one thing I noticed about you is that your demeanor doesn't ever really change. You seem so cool and calm and collected. Is that how you felt or was it a bit like the duck? You were paddling furiously below the hearts racing and on the surface, everything looked calm um, and collected. I would say that that week I've, been the calmest ever and I guess that's kind of the recipe of success but it's just insane how um, I'm I'm taken by surprise as to how well I manage myself physically and mentally especially Mm. mentally during the week I think I really just tried to play um, each hole as cliche as it sounds like each hole with my caddy a shot at a time and I just don't know how I can replicate that but I've been trying so yeah <laughs> so you you took the aggressive line uh on the first hole of the playoff where the two players that you were playing against they played the percentages was that the tactic going in or did you just think well if you're going to go there then I might as well I'm going to try and win it here what was the thought process behind the decision making on that playoff hole so my caddy, Mikey, and I, you know, chatted through as we do normally uh, with any shot. We wanted to have a good go, so my aggressive line was at the pin. But during the week, we've always just kind of gone left. Um, if it goes in a bunker, it's fine. Long left isn't ideal. Short left is probably the best spot for any pin, really. But I guess we were there to win. So my aggressive line was the pin and I do have to admit that I pushed it right and I got really lucky. So yeah, I probably won't be able to do that again. Don't ever do now. Cam Smith made that mistake when he won the players with that shot. I think it was 17 on the feature hole, the, the par three, one of the greatest shots ever. And he said he didn't actually mean it. Don't do that. Don't, don't admit that ever. Grace. Well, if I'm alongside Kev, I, I think I've done my part. <laughs> Beautiful. Hey, um, you did something that I, I, I've read your Golf New South Wales bio and you actually list Hannah Green, Minji Lee, um, Kari Webb uh, and Lydia Ko as your inspirations. Um, you, you won the Kari Webb Scholarship four times and you now play alongside Hannah Green, Minji Lee and Lydia Ko. Minji won the event that you did, the Lottie Championship back in 2016. What does it mean to you playing with the, the women and against the women that have inspired you and now emulating some of their feats? I think that's kind of the hard part for me to really, um, I guess, take in at the fact that I've gotten this far already and, you know, been really lucky with my win already. Like, I still I still feel like a baby out here, like a proper rookie, which I am. But mm. having that win under my belt, I mean, it doesn't change who I am. I still feel like I'm you know, so many steps behind them. Um, but to be able to play alongside them now um, is just is just obviously something that I really looked up to, but I really just can't believe it, to be honest. So we're speaking to Grace Kim on Off The Tee. Grace, how did you find golf? What's your journey uh, into golf? So my dad introduced me to the game of golf. I... Didn't I would say I didn't really like it the first two years. Um, I just, you know, wanted to play with my friends after school because I started when I was about 10 and that's kind of where, you know, you know, school's fun. You just kind of, mm. you know, listen to your teachers here and there, but it's more about recess and lunchtime. 
after school playtime. So that's kind of what I wanted to do. But instead, Dad took me to the bloody driving range <laughs> where you stand still and hit these balls. Um, but, you know, he pushed me the right amount to the point where I really started to understand what golf meant for my life. You know, you learn a lot of lessons, um, not just golf-related, but life-related as well. So, you know, I, I think I... I'm very grateful that I've gotten this far and I'm hopefully, you know, be, hopefully do even better. But, um, yeah, I guess credit, all credits to dad because I didn't really understand golf at the start. But once I started winning all these, like, junior age groups, I'm like, okay, this is what winning tastes like. So, yeah. Do you remember the moment when you fell in love with it? Do you remember the moment when it, it all sort of clicked for you when you went, oh, no, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I want to be. This is what I want to be doing. I think the biggest, um, I guess, eye-opener for me was when I won the Australian Girls Junior in 2017. I still didn't understand what tournament golf was all about, and I believe I birdied the last hole to win the event, which got me a start into the Aussie Open. Um, That was 2018, I believe, and it was at Kiyonga, so it was easy for me. Um, You know, being in the field with these big names, you know, being um, in one of the feature groups with Alison Lee and um, I think I can't exactly remember who it was, but it was just like insane to be able to see Nellie Corder and Jess Corder just walk by me and I'm just like, what is going on? <laughs> but to be able to obviously earn that spot was when I was like, okay, this is, um, I guess, my life now. So, yeah. You've had a stellar junior and amateur career, a long list of wins, achievements. It's a mile long. I don't have time to go through it all. But the Australian Women's Amateur, the back-to-back New South Wales Amateurs, the 2018 Youth Olympics for Australia, the four Curry Webb Scholarships, uh, as I mentioned, which is awarded for performance in, in that series named after her and being the highest-placed amateur in the rankings. You won the TPS as an amateur, went back and won it when you turned pro. I commentated, though, the first event that I think it was that you played as a pro, and you played it against the blokes. The Western Plains Open in Dubbo, where you only you came second by just one shot to eventual Daniel Gale, uh, eventual winner Daniel Gale. What, how I remember watching that thing, and this is quite significant here. We've started to see a bit of, um, you know, women's and men's events coexisting together and being really competitive, and how big an advancement that is in the game. But I remember watching you go around and thought, I think we're witnessing something really special here. What was that tournament for you? And, and how significant was it for you going head-to-head with the blokes and beating all of them except one? I loved it. I Obviously, I, I didn't exactly tee off the same tees as them, um, but to be able to play against the guys is always so much fun. I love beating them. That's the only part, really. Um, I also had a, like a money match going with Daniel Gale you that did. week. So it was just... <laughs> Yeah, it was for 20 bucks and he bloody got me. So, um, it, yeah, no, it was great fun. He obviously made it um, enjoyable for me. But I think playing with the guys, obviously their game's so different. So it really puts my mind into, you know, just my own game, which is obviously key in any part of a tournament. But just it was a lot more easier and a lot. I think it freed my mind a lot. Um, I think that's why I kind of enjoy the mixed events, like the TPS events. So, yeah, I'm just really looking forward to hopefully some more mixed events. So talk to us about the future for Grace Kim. Um, unfortunately, 
you you didn't make the international crown team and you were duking it out really I think with Sarah Kemp for that final spot and I know that'd be a bitter pill for you to swallow especially given that two of the people playing are two of the people you point to as your idols and inspiration in Hannah um, and Minji but you've got um, some big events coming up New Jersey next and then um, some other majors to come uh, where do you feel like you're at and what do you feel like the future holds and, and I suppose was it are you okay with the fact that an international crown didn't happen for you this year? Yeah, you know, as as a rookie, I'm honestly just going to take in um, whatever comes my way. Um, Kempi, Sarah Kemp deserves it as much as mm. anyone did. Like, she obviously has been out here for longer than I have. So I really, I'm really happy for the, her. Um, and I know she was, you know, really looking forward to it from the, from last year. So um, I'm really excited for the Australian team this week. Um, I wasn't expecting it. So honestly, if I did get in, it was just a cherry on top. I'm happy to get a win instead of um, an international crown. So it's honestly fine by me. Um, yep. But with that, with saying that, like obviously I've now got the flexibility of, um, you know, picking picking and choosing the tournaments I want to and I don't want to play, which is great. But at the same time, I don't want that to be, um, I guess, like a, a step back. Like I obviously mm. just want to keep going. Um you know, like I've come into this year to America knowing that I'm not going home until November um, and, you know, just kind of stepping on the accelerator and just going all all, um, all gas, really. So um, I just want to make sure that I play the best possible with every opportunity that comes my way. But in saying that, being appropriate with my decisions of, you know, playing which tournaments, and not playing which tournament to have an off week and yeah, really looking after myself to be able to perform the best possible. Well, you're experiencing just about everything that professional golf life has to offer. You've, you've won a tournament, which is incredible in your third start. There's been a couple of miscuts since, and I know you would have been disappointed with the Chevron, especially given it's a major, but you know, you've got status for the next two years. So you know what your future holds your rankings um, inside the top 90. Now, I think 84 when I checked last night. So you're getting all of it um, all at once, and we can't wait to see where the journey takes you next and, and how far it goes. And, and we're just so proud of what you're achieving, and um, we can't wait to, to see what's next for you, Grace. Thanks so much for being with us on Off The Tee. Thank you, guys. Cheers, Sam. Absolute thrill to catch up with Grace Kim. Um, Nick, you actually set that chat up. Um, we had to we had a couple of cancellations and a couple of uh, restarts and false starts, and I was able to come in and, and do that a couple of days ago. And what what really impressed me, Nick, is when I asked her about not being part of the international crown team, and she was emphatic when she says, no, Sarah Kemp deserved that spot. Mm. Hopefully one day for me, but that was Sarah Kemp's spot. Yeah. No, she's got a – and that just shows you how, how classy Grace oh. is. And when you meet her in person, I've done a couple of interviews with her uh, around the golf tournaments, and she is the sweetest girl and just has – you know, everyone just has positive things to say yeah. about her. And then her golf game, oh, my goodness, it is so good. And I can't wait to see what she does this year. There's a – about three or four more minutes in that chat. We had to edit it up for time because I, I lost track of time chatting to her. As you say, she's engaging, considered, whip smart, as you can tell, um, knows her game, knows what she wants. So it was a, it was a great chat. So on the podcast, that'll be the longer version uh, of that chat, which um, if you wanted to take that up on the Off The Tee podcast, you can do that at sen.com.au. Uh, when you... 
when we're hearing her talk, one of the things I actually asked her about off air is about what kind of support the Golf Australia. And she was actually telling me about Golf Australia have a house. Mm. And it's, she says, like an Airbnb for us. It's in Orlando. Yep. And we, you know, because I asked her, where are you living? And she's like, well, when I can, I stay in the Golf Australia house. So the level of support she was really positive about that Golf Australia, keep in touch with all the players, how you're traveling. They can book that accommodation. Um, and, and, and it's almost like an Airbnb. If there's a vacancy there, if there's a room available, you can stay. And she said, it's the greatest thing because you never quite know who else might be there at any given time. So it's also a way for the Australian players to stay connected yeah, it is. and stay around each other. Was that happening in your yeah, well, I time? Was, I, I left the US, uh, let's see, 2019, the beginning of 2019. And just mm. before then, I think I'd heard about the, the house in Orlando because I lived in Orlando. And the Golf Australia house wasn't too far away. It might have been 15 minutes away. But I never went there, unfortunately. But there was a guy who originally who went over, part of the Golf Australia team, uh, Luke. Uh, he was a physio or a mm. fitness guy. And, and he's there basically full-time. And then the players come in and stay and come and go. I think Curtis Luck and Ryan Ruffles stayed there over the years. And obviously, you know, Grace and uh, Cassie Porter and, and so on of the current crop that are, uh, that are in and out of, 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 that, uh, of that house. It's a wonderful uh, thing for them to have. I mean... Back in my day, it was, sorry, it's, it's you know, throw you to the wolves and out there, ha- have a crack yourself and figure out your own accommodation. For them to have that support group there mm. on site is incredible. And then yeah, the practice facilities, like some of them, they come out to Isleworth, which is where I was a member. Uh, I saw David Caluzzi, I think, was practicing out there the other day with um, Ryan Ruffles, I believe. So Dave's probably staying in the house at the moment. Um, and then Orange County National isn't too far away as well. They probably have some sort of a reciprocal mm. right. So there's there's so much for them to do in that area. And just to just to have a hub and a base, that's very, very important as a young young professional. Also, too, from from what I could gauge was that there is a really con- a real concerted effort to check in. Mm. to you know, to make sure that everything's going all right and how you're going away from home and, and, and do all those kind of things. And um, when you think about your career, but you were, um, you know, you had your, your wife with you and yep. things like that. Would that, would, there, would that have made it? I mean, not that it was, you know, this is not a crack at Golf Australia, but what difference do you think it could have made to some players or, or over your journey or maybe even to yourself with an extra layer of support. Oh, it would have been incredible. Uh, you know, looking back, I, I probably should have picked the brains more of, of other tour players uh, that were older or senior. I mean, Peter, Peter Senior was, was great. You know, he would always yeah. have a bit of a chat. Uh, Wayne Riley in Europe was fantastic. Uh, in the US, it was a bit more of an individual thing. Uh, players sort of did their own thing over there. But Golf Australia do a great job in that regard because but, – but they can't do it for everyone. I mean, at, at the end of the day, they have their rookie squad and their – they're, they're players that they do support and look after, but you, you can't do it for everyone out on tour, obviously. But if you could have just someone to chat to every now and then, and I had that as well. I mean, I obviously had my wife and my family and mm. a sports psychologist I would work with. So I only kind of, I kind of had my own team in, in a way. Yeah. But to be in that uh, a larger group, I think, is just yeah. awesome because then you can start picking the brains of, you know, of how they do certain things and where should they go and stuff like that as well. It all adds up. Yeah, I wonder wh- wh- how, how, more, how f- much further you can take that it's interesting reading the interviews with you know Cam Smith and, and Jed Morgan especially is mm. an interesting one because he gets to hang around Leash Smith, um, Ormsby, um, Matt Jones, Matt Jones. Yep. I always go to say Cam Davis <laughs> for some reason, uh, Matt Jones, and and just gets to you know be a sponge for all this information yep. and and they love the fact that they get to hang and travel and all those kind of things and and be based sort of together. 
Um, I, I wonder if you can pick up on that thread with Australian players who are based in the US and, and try and create. I mean, it doesn't have to be the Big Brother house, no. but it, but it, yeah. but certainly to have a base of operations where you all are and and it's a regular mm. sort of thing. Do you? Yeah, well, that was the idea, obviously, with the Golf Australia house over yeah. there, to, for them to have a central hub that they could come back to and talk to people and then be around players Each that, other. Yeah. that were in similar uh, situations. And, um, you know, some won't get along, some will. Um, but just to have the opportunity to talk to someone, that, that's the biggest thing, I think. And and looking back on, on my career, for instance, I, I wish I'd just asked more questions. That, that was the biggest thing. You know, certain players who I knew did things really well, I wish I'd have gone up to them more often and said, hey, how do you do this? You know, uh, what, what's what's your thought process through this sort of thing? Some players I did, uh, others I didn't, unfortunately. And yeah, it's one of those things you just got to uh, get the courage up to go and do it and play practice rounds with better players as well. That's one of the best things you can do as a young professional out there. You know, if you see a, well, not Tiger anymore, but if you see, um, you know, a Cam Smith or a Mark, well, now, now they're playing live, so you're not going to see them, but <laughs> maybe out on the PGA Tour if you're a young rookie, Harrison Endicott, you know, he should be going up to Jason Day and Adam yeah. Scott and those sorts of players and, and having practice rounds. But well, I would say, the thing I'd say to that, though, is I hope that the, that the older players on tour understand that the onus is also on them to 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 be that they do mentor yeah. to, to to reach out to make sure um, we know that Cam Smith used to do a lot of that yep. with the players who would get a chance over there um, he was really big on making sure that he welcomed them flew them uh, put them up all that yep. kind of stuff so. Yep. They know that, that that's their role to, to play, don't worry, uh, for sure. I mean, I tried to do that as well with – I mean, I did it, you know, maybe chat and say with Mark Leishman at one mm. point. It's just, just little things where you can say, hey, you're on the right path here. Yep. Just, just keep going. And Carrie Webb was great with that on the women's side as yeah. well. So, mm. And that whole thing, it's like they say in Apple, here if you need. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Words to live by. Um, no pun intended. <laughs> hey, uh, when we come back, Nick's tip of the week. If you've got a question for Nick Ahern, former world number seventeen, uh, number sixteen. Sorry, I just sold you short. Yeah, you almost, almost got me. <laughs> yeah, uh, one three hundred seven three six seven three six. Nick's tip of the week, all, always for Mizuno. Um, or you could text in zero four double three ninety eight eleven sixteen. Gary really enjoyed the Grace Kim interview. If you did, or you didn't hear all of it, or you want to hear the rest of it, sen.com.au on the off the tee uh, page. You can catch up on the podcast there. Thanks for your text, Gary, for all your texts, 0433-981116. And we'll just tell you where golf's being played around the world to finish up this week's edition of Off the Tee after this on SEN. Lower your score and improve your game with custom-fitted clubs at Pure Form Golf. This is Off the Tee with Sam Hargraves and Nick O'Hearn. Off the tee at sen.com.au. You can email us if you wanted to ask a specific uh, tip of Nick O'Hearn or ask a specific question that relates to you and your golf swing or the way you're playing or the way you're not playing. Off the tee, all one word, at sen.com.au. You can email us and Nick can respond on air because I'm sure your question would be one that many would have and uh, the answer to you would help many as well. Uh, Nick, your tip of the week, please, from Mizuno Golf. Hashtag nothing feels like a Mizuno. A little different this week. Going to go down the mental game route because uh, I know you had some issues oh. the other day with your game at Commonwealth. <laughs> I could have used you yesterday. <laughs> I was at a charity event, the Theophilus Foundation, who raised money for year 12 students experiencing hardship. And 
a fantastic charity, Commonwealth, an incredible course, and well done uh, to Kenny Putakitis for putting that on. Yep. I unraveled yeah, mentally. It, it happens. It happens to all of us. Don't worry. We but also, come, we came second. Yeah, but it. also because because Wyndham Clark uh, spoke so much about the mental game and how it helped him close out uh, the tournament yeah. at Quail Hollow as well. So. One of the things I find, and it's the simplest thing too, because one of the things I find golfers struggle with the most is the downtime. And what I mean by that is after you've hit a shot and before you hit the next one, you've got a good Mm. solid two, three, four minutes at a time sometimes to think about things you probably shouldn't think about uh, in relation to in relation to your golf game. Now, after you've hit a shot, the most natural thing to do is think, oh, why did I do that? Why did I screw up there? And Oh, hang on. What have I got coming up? How am I going to figure this out? So you, all of a sudden, you, you, your mind is just going a million miles an mm. hour trying to figure stuff out that you really shouldn't be worrying about until you arrive at your ball. So a little tip that I used to do when I played was I'd unzip uh, the Velcro on my golf club uh, after I'd hit a golf shot, and then I'd switch the mind off from the game. So I'd talk to my caddy or my playing so partner. So you had a physical, I had a physical action key. to create a mental trigger. Exactly. Yeah. And it's different for everyone. Some people don't need a physical thing, but I certainly did. It reminded me that, okay, now is my time to not think about the game of golf. And I'd chat with my caddy, Will, we're about cricket, football, soccer, whatever was going on at the time. Mm. Rugby, I mean, he loved to talk about the World Cup when the, the Poms were beating us. <laughs> that was always a tough time. But uh, when the Ashes were on, that was a bit of fun as well. Yes. Now, that might last for you know a couple of minutes. And then about 10, 20 yards before the ball, when I arrive at my ball for my next shot, the glove would come back out and I'd put it on and bang, I switch back on again. So I'm sort of zoning out and zoning back in. And what that does is it creates a very fresh mindset for your next shot. And it also stops you worrying about what may or may not be going wrong or right during the game. How important was that for you, especially on the days where things weren't going to plan? Incredibly important. That was more important than anything. When you're playing well, you're kind of in that zone anyway. You yeah. kind of know you're playing well, so you don't think a bit too much about your game. That's when you chat with your mates. It's easy to switch off when you're playing well. Yeah. The hardest thing to do when you're not playing well is to switch off, and that is when it is the most valuable thing. So for you, when you struggled yesterday at Commonwealth, it would have been great just to start cracking jokes or talk about Collingwood and the footy or or whatever. I did a bit of that externally, but internally I was laying a a level of abuse at myself that would normally be reserved for um, uh, telemarketers who call it dinner or parking inspectors (laughs) who have just given you a ticket or uh, scam phone calls. This was not a pleasant conversation going on in the mind. So ideally, for instance, if you have... 80 or maybe you shoot 90 for a day, you know, if you're playing 18 holes or the pros, if you shoot 70, whatever your level of game, you want to have, say if you shoot 80, you want to have 80 short bursts of bursts of focus. So between that, you switch off, you have long periods where you're not thinking about much and then short periods where you do think about a lot. Uh, I love that. Uh, How to Play Your Best Golf is Nick Ahern's book and his swing tips every week and golf tips brought to you by Mizuno Golf. Find your nearest stockist or fitter at mizunogolf.com slash AU. Uh, we've got about 50 seconds, Nick, so let's quickly whip around where you can find some uh, uh, elite-level golf this week. AT&T, Byron Nelson, TPC Craig Ranch. Yeah, in Dallas, I think that is. Yeah, I love playing the Byron Nelson. That was a lot of fun. Uh, DP World Tour is heading to Belgium for the Sudal Open at uh, Rinkven International Golf and Country Club. Uh, Liv, where's Liv this week? Oh, well, they're in Tulsa, Oklahoma. <laughs> 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 We're going to have some fun there. Uh, I think there's a Sylvester Stallone show about uh, Tulsa. What about uh, LPGA? Yeah, they're playing at Upper Montclair Golf Club, the Cognizant, 
Cognizant Founders Cup, and a good mate of mine's a member there, so looking forward to seeing that course. Uh, and the Golf Australia website is where you'll find all the results of the Australian interstate teams matches for the juniors, uh, so make sure you're keeping an eye on that, the stars of the future getting around there, and a little bit of state versus state. Nick, we're out of time. See you next week. Great. Cheers, Sam.